Previously on Infants on Thrones. I'm wondering if you subscribe to any form of karma whatsoever. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. There's something about a shift that happens in your understanding, and it doesn't get them off the hook at all. It gets you off the hook. You have nothing to fear. If I'm going to drop the whole notion that there's some sort of like eternal justice, like if you're an asshole in this life, then you die, then you get your comeuppance after this life. We are eternal spiritual beings through multiple incarnations. Like, I have a life now. I'm not carrying around this huge thing like, okay, well, he's got to have to pay now. Okay, well, if I have to drop that notion, which is where I stand. Because I've literally done everything within my power that I could possibly do. You can do no wrong. Then I kind of fall into, okay, well, what will fill that void now? And I, I find myself thinking about karma quite a bit. You can do no wrong, as long as we realize that we reap what we sow. And now when I go forward and I date, I don't put a burden on these men. I've relieved that from them too. If we hand out pain and suffering to others as part of the lessons we're trying to learn, we're gonna end up either making amends in this incarnation or having to live through the pain and suffering on their behalf in that life review. If you're an asshole, then, you know, assholery is going to sort of surround you, so. You know, it's just, it, there's some kind of shift that happens and it's totally worth learning how to forgive. Displaces the dark, displaces the darkness of evil. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 639, An Insatiable Need for Justice and the Meandering Search for Karma, part six. Yeah, we're past the halfway point of this ever-evolving, meandering series. There's still a few episodes left, and today is possibly going to be the most challenging one for some of you listeners. Now, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Because at the heart of Tom's question about justice and karma is this idea of the problem of evil. The unavoidable truth that horrible things happen to people who do not deserve to have horrible things happen to them. So what does that say about the potential nature of God, if there is a God, that he would allow these horrible things to happen to people? How can you just say, let it go and forgive like Christie did? It's a really difficult conundrum, and today we're going to immerse ourselves in it. But before we do, Tom has something that he wants to say to Adam. Remember the email that Adam sent to us that I read to you in the last episode? While I'm a fan of the show, I feel like the rhetoric towards ex-Mormons is demeaning and dismissive of our experience. It surprises me because we are your target audience, and yet you continually disparage us. Now, you already heard my response. Here's Tom's. Hey, Glenn. So I guess I'm back. <laughs> uh, that email from Adam, that was so cool, man. That sparked a lot of thoughts in my head. A lot. Jeez, dude. And like, and I can, I really do get a sense for his frustration. Whether it's you or me or any of the other infants that have taken shots at 
the ex-Mormon community or whatever, because I'm pretty sure that I have unintentionally and some probably probably sometimes intentionally I've thrown shade at the ex-Mormon community. Um, and that's unfair. It really is unfair because there is a really vital need for a healthy, strong, vibrant ex-Mormon community. Um, it's and, and then I overgeneralize because a few bad eggs in that community seem to rot in the whole thing. And that's that's totally unfair of me. And it's like I know that I do that, but I do it anyways. <laughs> it's so stupid. So I, I offer my sincere apologies for throwing shade at the ex-Mormon community, especially since it was it, it played such a pivotal role in my journey and in my transformation if, if, if that's assuming that I'm I'm done transforming because <laughs> I'm not but uh, that was that was such a good email and uh, I don't know the only thing that I would say to Adam and kind of echoing or building off of what you already responded to him so I I would just say listen Adam um, dude <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let me start this over. <laughs> what I was going to say to him, uh, dude, and then just blank out. That's what I would say to him. No, it's it's a hundred percent okay for you to feel how you feel, and don't don't put too much value on what other people think. You know, especially us. We're just a bunch of yahoos, man. Like we went through the same process that you're going through. And so there is an automatic kinship, without a doubt. Like I, there's already like a, a position that in my mind you're already in, and it's kind of like the VIP group because I really do look at people who have gone through the shift or the crisis of faith sort of stuff as people that I automatically feel bonded to, and so you're already there, man, and so. If you feel slighted or if you feel somewhat confused or irritated or frustrated at something that we say or do or how we act, whatever, that's that's completely fine. <laughs> and I honor that reaction. And I, I personally would love to interact with you about that frustration, about those feelings that come up. Because I think that it could be an, a really good learning experience even for me. To, to realize like okay where I where I am in my journey now in in comparison to where you're in your journey now and why is there I don't know feathers being ruffled um, irritations kind of being brought up because I think that where you're at it, it's it's a very it's a very painful and very raw place. Of course, I'm putting some assumptions um, on your particular uh, situation, and I don't like doing that because every situation is extremely unique. Uh, it's there's only a few like cliches and tropes that actually hold firm throughout most people's crisis of faith. I mean, take for example Glenn's <laughs> crisis of faith over mine holy shit what a difference <laughs> you know it's like sometimes i just shake my head and like did we even are there even any similarities at all but anyway 
all I would say to you is that power that you're giving other people, including us, I guess it's not, maybe not power is not the right word, influence or value um, that you might be unintentionally giving us is something very systematic of people who were or are Mormons. We're so used to giving our power and our authority to other people. It's just, it's just natural. And when you're in the, in the structure of Mormonism, that's what the structure is sort of built up to do. That you humble yourselves before whatever authorities, whatever, um, whatever figures, whatever doctrines, like you, you constantly have to submit or humble yourselves um, in front of all these other things. And you never really get the opportunity to give yourself the authority. Like, I, you are the person that you should report to, and that's it. I mean, maybe a partner, like if you're married, or if you have kids, you have responsibility, or even some parents, maybe siblings. But even then, I, I want to throw quick caveats on that, because when you're an adult, dude, <laughs> you're responsible for yourself. So, I really appreciate the sort of the added weight or value that you give to us, but, and, and I especially like and appreciate the compliments that you say that we add some humor, some sort of levity in your, in your life. That's, that's, that was my whole goal. Like every single feedback that we've ever gotten that makes me feel like what I wanted to do with this project is being accomplished by just making people laugh and like, oh my God, I'm so tired of taking everything so goddamn serious all the time. Like this thing is so heavy and it's so daunting and this, this shifting and processing everything is so heavy and so difficult and, and taxing on me. I don't know if I can do it. Um, if there's a break that we provide for that, like, oh man, I have no idea how valuable and how amazing those words are to me. Honestly, it's just because it makes me feel like all those hours I've put into doing a podcast was worth it. <laughs> oh, I freaking love it. So anyway, there you go, Glenn. I, I guess I was talking to him through you. So, yeah. To him through me, huh? So kind of like you were channeling something? You know why? It's very Abraham Hicks of you, Tom. We never give a satisfying answer. All right, now before we get to the panel discussion, I want to spend some time setting it up with another listener who we heard from earlier in this series. Remember Michael Bluth? And now the story of a Mormon family who lost... There is no inherent justice in the universe. Right, that Michael Bluth. Well, Michael had more to say about the problem of evil. So we're going to hear from Michael, and then you'll hear my response, which will also set up another panel discussion between myself, Tom, and Christy. And some of you may have heard this discussion before. It was recorded and released after our first interview with Christy last year in 2019. But it fits so well with this idea of justice and karma. I just had to make it part of the series, and it's definitely worth listening to again. So that's your episode today. Take it away, Michael. Michael Bluth is my real name. 
Um, I love Jason Bateman. I love Arrested Development. But uh, no, that is, um, I'm the OG. I am the OG Michael Bluth. I don't really know how we're defining justice. I think we might have uh, different ideas about what universe, what justice in the universe looks like. From your email, and correct me if I'm wrong, it almost sounds like the propagation of the universe itself and life within it is some sort of cosmic justice because it just seems to work. And life continues on and the universe continues to expand and the physics and biology all just seem to, to work. And that, that this idea that maybe cause and effect itself is a form of justice because there's always a just result or a just effect with every cause. And I don't know if I agree, and I didn't really understand. I didn't, I didn't really know that's what we were talking about when we talk about justice. Yeah, that makes sense, Michael. I mean, I, I was playing around with ideas with you. So my idea of justice and your idea of fairness, I'm, I'm intentionally stretching the limits of how we normally think of ourselves. Like when it comes right down to it, at the most fundamental level of existence, we're energy that's doing stuff. Your body, my body, trillions of atoms that create molecules, cells, tissues, muscles, organs, nervous systems, etc. And the nervous system is creating our personality, our ego, our sense of who we are in the world. We don't typically think of ourselves as the energy of the universe that is temporarily doing us right now. But why not? That's exactly what we are. And this energy has been doing what it's been doing for at least 13.8 billion years, going back to the Big Bang. So in the email that I sent you, I was using my imagination to ask myself, what would fairness and justice look like to that pure positive energy that is temporarily doing homo sapiens right now? Of course, that energy is also doing everything else as well, right? So from that perspective, isn't there innate justice and fairness at that energetic level? I mean, the energy that is indestructible, that will continue to do what it does long after our sun dies and this solar system and all the planets in it get recycled into new stuff again. Now, why is that not a valid perspective to take when asking questions about justice and fairness? Isn't it a little myopic to only think of justice and fairness from the perspective of human beings? I don't know. I mean, it might be a frustrating way to approach it. Um, but that's what I was trying to get across, Michael. When I say that we can't rely on karma or the universe to right wrongs, I simply mean that there isn't some underlying mechanism within the universe that produces fairness for each of the agents within it, insofar as you can consider an agent to be an individual. Uh, maybe human, maybe any sentient being. I don't know. I just don't see any evidence that that's the way the universe works. Yeah, that. I mean, that's fair. You don't see any evidence that that's the way that the universe works. But you made a positive claim. Do you have evidence that supports that positive claim? So you you say that the universe does not, that the universe is devoid of a mechanism that makes things fair. Where is, where is your evidence that shows you that the universe is devoid of it? Because the inability to see that it's there, 
That's one thing. But then to make the conclusion that it just absolutely isn't there because we, the product of energy that's doing all of these things, including our nervous system, that we're nested in this very narrow range of perception that we, we look out at the universe and we go, it, it's never, it doesn't happen. I mean, if, if we're just talking about our lifespans and human beings, then you're absolutely right. There isn't anything that protects the, the, the weak from being exploited. That's true. It, it, it doesn't. But um, yeah, I don't know if, if that's something that we can then extend out to the eternities and the universe and, and everything. We, 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 just don't, we just don't know. So we know that it isn't here and now. So, I mean, what, what should we do with that knowledge? Again, I'm only talking about the observable universe. I can't speak to which consequences, uh, to consequences I can't see, can't observe in some, you know, future life. I don't know why it would be that way other than we want it to be that way. It's comforting. It's the ultimate <laughs> comfort to know that all wrongs will be made right in some way or another. But it feels so similar to a lot of the other comforting half-truths and lies that you're fed when you grow up religious. I'm having a hard time distinguishing between it and others. So I think what you're saying there, Michael, is that because you recognize that Growing up as a Mormon, we were told things with absolute certainty that people didn't really know for sure, but actually used the word standing up in testimony meeting. I know the church is true. I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know that the Book of Mormon is true. And then we investigate those things because we care, and we find out, oh, there's really not evidence for the Book of Mormon. In fact, the, the evidence for the Book of Mormon indicates that it's not true, that it's a, a fabrication, a 19th century fabrication is the most likely conclusion when you look at all of the, the evidence. Okay, so it, it calls everything into question. And so I think what you're saying is that any kind of story that justice and fairness could be meted out in the afterlife is most likely a result of people's desire for there to be justice. But that desire in itself isn't evidence that it exists. I think that's what you're saying. And and I agree with you. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I agree with you. Um, when I say I, 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 you know, we need to do our own part to create justice, you know, just systems and just results for those people in our sphere of influence, I feel like that's the best we can do. You know, I'm going to agree with that too, Michael, but I'm going to pull a little uh, Elder Bednar on you. I'd like to change the question, or whatever it was that he said. I want to change the word from just to loving or compassionate, kind. And to say that since the universe doesn't seem to have any kind of baked-in me mechanism that just makes things 
kind and loving and compassionate and fair for people, then that's really what we need to do. And whether that's uh, systems that we're creating or just ways that we create our own sense of how we see the world and that what we give into the world is love and joy and kindness and compassion. And I know I keep beating this drum from the interview that we did with Christy, but I just thought it was so profound that she could say, yes, I've been through what I've been through and it's not okay, but I found a way to forgive myself, to find a way to not carry that guilt. And then what does that do that opens her up to be able to put herself into the world more? What did she say? I'm doing comedy now. When she's going out and she's dating these men, she's not putting the burden on them. So. As we've been going through this karma series, the the things that have really impressed on me is the way to focus inward on ourselves that we can provide the karma, the, the, the balance to the injustice of the world through the way that we put ourselves into it in a loving and kind and compassionate way. Um, and And so, at any rate, I, I really appreciate the time that you took, Michael, um, to, to ask these questions and have this conversation with me. And I, I want to play now for you. It's a pretty long clip. It's, it's about 20 minutes. And I'm just going to let it go in its entirety. I'm not going to interrupt. And it's one that it's, it's an Abraham Hicks clip. And she's talking with a guy who is in this position of saying, I, I cannot accept that the world is anything but unjust and unfair, and it's totally depressed the hell out of him. <laughs> and I think what you'll hear, I'm gonna, I mean, I don't, I don't care if I bias this ahead of time. I, I listen to this guy, and I hear this guy, and I think he is so compassionate that he cares so much for people, and he cares so much for people, and he's focusing on the truth, the reality of suffering, but he's ignoring other parts. Like he's focusing so much on the suffering that then that's turning his own life into misery. And you know that that metaphor of when you're in an airplane and it's bumpy and the oxygen thing comes down and it says, you know, take the oxygen for yourself first and then help the small children and people around you. I, I feel like that's what we've got to do as well. That, that we have to clean out whatever we've got to clean out in ourselves to be able to love and forgive and that we put that into the world instead of letting the reality of the harshness of everything keep us in a state of despondency and depression. Because, um, yeah, it is true. There's a lot of shitty stuff in the world. Yes. Anyway, I, it, it's hard to talk about. It, it's really hard to talk about because I do not want to come across as being dismissive and just, just smile. Just, if you see a frowny face, do not let it stay. Simply turn it upside down and smile that frown away. Yeah, I hate that. But at the same time, I think there's something to it. So uh, I'm going to play this clip for you here. Um, it's called The Biggest Missing Piece. It's Abraham Hicks who's using her imagination to say, what would pure positive energy say if it could speak through me? That's the way that I approach this stuff. And uh, I like it. So expanding the mind. What would pure positive energy say in response to the problem of evil? Let's go. 
I read a lot of philosophy because I had the belief that with enough awareness and well-designed system, the human species could flourish. I, I realize now no system will ever work because human beings are only interested in pursuing their own selfish interests at the expense of others. In the last couple of years, I've lost all hope, not because your message is incorrect or because I can't create, but because there is more to it than that. You cannot minimize what goes on out there with a single pleasant-sounding word like contrast. It, you come down here, take a body, be subjected to a childhood of abuse, an adult life of business failures, betrayal, financial ruin, divorce, and constant barrage of exploitation from your fellow man and big business, and then stand before me with this message. How many people in history are capable of doing that? So I came here today to tell you that as I survey the infestation on this planet, I am disgusted. I now feel mostly hatred for people and their ignorance, stupidity, and petty strivings towards shallow money trenches they dig to insulate themselves and parade around in tacky luxury. I see the majority of people trapped in lives that bear no resemblance to their desires, and more often than not suffering in the most awful ways as a result of others inserting themselves in their experience. And you're never going to convince me that six million victims of World War II genocide, or any of the other many genocides over history for that matter, were all a match to their experience. I have absolutely no doubt that history will repeat itself, and wars will dominate the majority of people once again for the next 4,600 years. We think that what you... Flip your lid up just a little bit so we can see you, unless you don't want us to see you. Take your hat off, maybe, so we could see your face. I don't really want to be videotaped. In fact, your staff is very insistent on videotaping me, and that's not really what I wanted. Well, take I the camera off of him. It's all right. Take the camera off of him. And we are not going to try to make anything happen. We just want to look at you ourselves. So we don't disagree with anything that you've said. And we would not for a moment express, you can videotape us. We would not for a moment express that there is anything uh, inappropriate about the perspective that you've found. And uh, anyone with a reasonable mind, um, which includes everyone in this room and those looking on, would agree in part to a lot of the things that you've said, that there are, um, we'll use more words than contrast, there are horrendous, um, unfair, unthinkable, unspeakable acts and behaviors and perspectives that are going on all around the world. In other words, this is a world of uh, contrast of immense proportions. And when we say that it's the best of times and the worst of times, we're not kidding because the contrast does get greater and greater. Man's ability to inflict pain and harm upon one another is also increasing, as is man's ability to find love and harmony. And we get how when you are part of a world that has access to so much information and so much detail that sometimes it defies the... Uh, it, make, it would make you feel foolish to put your head in the sand and pretend that unspeakable things either have not happened or are not happening because the fact of it is they're happening all around you. But having said all of that, we also know that every one of you came forth into these human bodies and these bodies of beasts with clear foresight of 
what was here not one of you believed was told or believed that everything was all smoothed out not one of you wanted that because you believed that you would carve your life out of the content of that which was here and none of you would have come forth if there had been a promise that you would have not had choices that's the most important thing it's hard to believe when people are living unwanted things it's hard to believe that they are have been given free will and that their choices are being honored because it's hard to believe that someone would choose something unspeakable or unthinkable or horrific or horrendous it's hard to believe that and that's why we are here having conversations with those who are interested because we agree with you people don't realize that they're making those choices so it feels like it's something that's being done to them and the reason that they don't believe that they're making those choices is because not one of you or it would be a rare few of you would acknowledge that I would do or anyone would do these unspeakable things to myself so it makes you believe that there must be some other factor involved there must be some source of darkness there must be some source of badness there must be some cosmic debt to pay you come up with all kinds of things in your explanation of the unwanted things and so we enter the picture in response to powerful wanting yours being a strong part of it you're not the only one on the planet who feels this way as you look around these gatherings these are very small groups out here on the leading edge because the majority of people do not want this simplistic uh, response to things that feel so big but we want you to understand that unless you start at a sort of basis of understanding of how it is that things are coming to you until you understand that then you cannot understand how anything is coming to any other and when you begin to make the association between what you're thinking and how you're feeling and how things are turning out then you begin to get some insight into what's happening to others the biggest piece and we know that it is borderline sickening to humans to hear this from us but the biggest piece that is missing in the understanding of human friends is that the horror that you've assigned to the death experience is not what you've made it out to be at all and that that's one of the advantages that the beasts give to you is that they come and go and 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 come and go because they reach levels of maturity so much more easily and so they the joy that they feel is proportionately greater in other words even though often they come to what you would call some terrible end they that terrible end is very brief in relationship with the delicious romping that they've been experiencing absolutely and humans do not allow themselves that benefit because humans are so busy speculating the what has gone wrongness that they hold themselves in vibrational discord with the rightness that their own individual lives have actually carved out this is not about the death experience in terms of it being horrendous it's about the damage that is done the unfinished business the children left behind the families disrupted the lives destroyed and all of the experience which we live in that process well, you see what you what you are doing and it is unique to you in that your caring is greater than most feel but what you have done is you are taking upon yourself through your attention to detail um, the burdens of the discomfort of the lives of so many 
over which you have no creative control so so the darkness that you are feeling and the horror of it the injustice of it is because you personally cannot do anything about any of that but we want to say to you you're taking so much more of it on yourself than is yours to take and that any individual that is experiencing any of the pieces of that 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 you're defining is not feeling as badly about it at one point early in her experience with us Esther was watching something on television it was something that had happened in another part of the world and it happened to children and the mothers were wailing and as Esther was watching it she was beside herself with discomfort and she said to us Abraham if I am feeling this much discomfort over watching something from which I am so completely removed what must it be like for those people who are in the midst of all of that and we said to Esther your pain in this moment is greater than theirs because the contrast mm -hmm. between who you are and what you are living and what you are allowing right now mm -hmm. is greater mm -hmm. and because in the midst of that other things are happening to them the other coping mechanisms are taking yeah. place yeah. that's the most significant thing so you do a real disservice to yourself and we we're not trying to talk you out of it because you're launching all kinds of global rockets of desire but we're just saying to you that you will not be able to sort yourself out of this by getting more and more specifics we have never heard more articulate conversation we have never heard words come together more accurately or comprehensively you are really good at conveying what you are feeling and you've taken on yourself the discomfort and discord of maybe millions of people and directed it to us in perhaps the most profound and powerful way that we've ever experienced it and in all of that we only have simplistic answers for you those answers are life is supposed to be good not just for Esther and not just for some but for all of you and when it isn't something has gone terribly wrong yeah. and every single time the thing that has gone terribly wrong is that an orientation or a perspective has been developed and practiced to the point that other evidence can't come in in other words when you have decided something in a very powerful way mm -hmm. then it must be because law of attraction will always present to you exactly the package that you are practicing all day every day You've got no argument with that and so our we do not sense that your life reflects this now in this powerful way at one time yes but we want to say to you that you are taking more upon yourself this is really what we would like to say to you in the same way that Esther through allowing Abraham is a voice that really perpetuates more and more people coming into their personal alignment and allowance that when someone is articulate and accurate as you are presents an opposing point of view that you are in essence not creating for the masses but you are presenting a vibrational forum that allows that grid to fill in more easily because you cannot be a vibrational match to something without perpetuating it you just cannot be mm -hmm. so silly as this is going to sound to you right now we want to say you're just having one hell of a step one moment mm. you're just having that I know what I don't want moment and if you were not from the core of your being someone who understood so profoundly that that is not the way it is meant to be you would not be experiencing the discord and discomfort that you're experiencing in other words the enormity of your outrage 
Jerry said to Esther, you're aware of Jerry? Oh yes, I've met you, Esther and Jerry, Jerry at their what, house. Jerry said to Esther, he, she, he's writing to her nearly every day. He said to Esther, I understand the profound depth of your love for me by the profound depth of the pain you are feeling mm -hmm. in believing in the absence of me. And this is sort of what we'd like to say to you, is that we know of the depth and the power of who you are and what you are really wanting. You are a powerful being who understands well-being at the very depth of your being. And when you focus for a little bit or for a long while as you have upon the opposite of that, then it is logical that you would feel in the way that you feel. I've spent a lifetime doing this work. I read clairvoyantly. I could read everybody in this room and they'd go home with a really good piece of information. And I see, I'm sensitive and I see very deeply. And what I see after a lifetime of putting stuff in the vortex is that when is my moment? When is my moment? If you want to take this from the general to the personal, okay. It's not here. It's not coming. And the stuff in the vortex isn't there. And I'm living misery. And I have been for a long time, ever since I really practiced my art. Becoming more sensitive is, is part curse. Well, your perspective is valid. And uh, we would not for a moment try to talk you out of it. But we do feel in all that you have said here that your desire is different than the reality that you are describing. And that as long as that desire is pulsing within you, and it is, that we will continue to give our undivided, whether you believe it or not, or even care or not, we will continue to give our undivided attention to that. And we want to say to you that you represent not necessarily large numbers of people, but you represent in your discourse here the perspective of humans that believes that they are not the creator of their own reality, that they have no creative control. And we want to say clearly to you that you do create your own reality, that you are creating your own reality, and that everyone is not having the experience that you have described. In fact, the majority of the people who are here in this room do not resonate with what you're saying at all. They are eager to allow this conversation because they all know people who feel a bit like you're feeling, but they don't feel this way. They, uh, well, if I was the creator of my reality... Since you are the creator of your reality... Many people are creating their realities. Every and person is creating their reality. On, a, on a, an energy level, yes. Vibrationally. Vibrationally, and yes. And often unknown to them. Physically, people insert into others' experiences. I do not believe for a minute every one of the six million Jews that spent 20 minutes screaming themselves to death in a gas chamber was an attraction or created that experience. Nor any of the other genocides. Rwanda. Uh, any of them. I mean, there are, even if in well, the most, here, even the most here, simplistic... Here's the most significant thing that we want to say to you. It is not important to us what you believe because what you believe is yours to believe. It is important to us what we know to be. It is important to us that we know what we know. So we have discovered that by knowing what we know, our life is one of joy. And you've discovered that by knowing what you know, your life is one of misery. We just want to explain to you that there are choices. 
We don't disagree with you that most people don't know those choices. We don't disagree with you that momentum happens and people focus upon the reality around them. We don't disagree with you that people push against a lot of things. We do not disagree with you that there are, that there are people that are evil in intent, that find ways of putting people in precarious positions. But we will never agree with you that the world is without the ability to create its own reality. Uh, we will I'm never. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're in a situation that is out of control because other people have their own positions of power. Out of control because vibrational momentum has caused it to be that. I want yes. to ask this audience for a moment. Are you all right for a little more discussion? Or yes. So they're enjoying the discussion. Thank goodness, because I know this is an unpopular question. It's all right. I've taken two years to come here and I've had this conversation with you on the astral many times. And last time I tried to come here, it was no. And this time it was yes. So here I am. What I'm trying to say is that people create a physical reality in our big institutions, big pharmaceutical companies, big insurance yeah. companies, big banking, and we are caught up in that, whether we like it or not. We are born into a, a system in well, whatever country it is. We and agree you cannot... that the systems surround you, but we do not agree that you have to be bound by your perspective of them. And what we've been help, wanting to help people with recently is to unravel the specifics by getting more general. And people are beginning to discover, it, uh, someone who feels as strongly as you do from your perspective would say, well, you're just teaching them to put their head in the sand that ignorance is bliss. And we bit. would say, head in the sand is good if the alternative is focused upon something that will cause an attraction of unwanted and ignorance is bliss if attention to the unwanted causes you to practice a vibration that causes a point of attraction that gets you more of what you do not want so we do not disagree with anything that you're saying we just as Esther began receiving us in the early days all those years ago she did not have a religious background she did not have a philosophical background she was for the most part, just living life happily ever after. So, and Jerry had endless questions. It would not have been unlike Jerry to have presented a question much like the one you've presented in those early days, because he was always riding in on his white horse with his white hat, trying to right the wrongs of the world and felt great frustration that there were those who were not cooperating with that intent. And as we began interacting with the two of them, Jerry must have asked thousands of times, about one thing or another and our answer was that's not your work and then he'd come at us again and we'd say that's not your work and then he'd come at us again and we'd say that's not your work until about four months in he said Abraham what is my work what is my work and we said your work is to shine a spotlight on the well-being of this planet your work is to shine a spotlight upon what is wanted to practice what is wanted with such profound found attention that it reverberates in your being so that it becomes your chronic point of attraction that is your work and that's what you are doing and my question to you is why now I mean if you're in non-physical where there's no time no space you could be anywhere along our time but track that's you could a be with any different species that's a misunderstanding that's a misunderstanding because we are here with you where there is time and space we are 
11 minutes over time, there's that much time and space going on. We are here with you in your time and space. Non-physical energies are here with you. They are here with you. And that is the reason that you feel such discord, because there is so much available non-physical information and non-physical support and guidance. And when humanity, a piece of it as small as one individual or a larger group, like 6,000 people in the gas chambers, are focused in such ways that they deprive themselves of that well-being, it makes for a big and very very unpleasant and from our point of view unnecessary event okay so as you survey the people of this planet how many of them do you see living the contrast and how many of them do you see living the joy that they've created a hundred percent of them are living some point of contrast and about five percent of them are chronically conscious and aware of their vibration enough that they're guiding themselves mostly to joy. And we would put Esther in that 5% and she had a kidney stone. So we're not saying she is always there, but we are saying she is chronically enough there that by earth standards, she's a joyful being. And there are many of you who are that way, you see. Your pessimism is accurate but you have focused it into being so you're accurate in the fact that you have found it but you're not looking broad enough you see you're not looking broad enough and if you were to look broader you would begin to see some of what we see I, and I do and when you catch a glimpse of it and begin to focus there then your world must reflect to you in a different way you are creating the world through the vibration of your point of view no, no argument with that the thing that I think you're missing is that we live out there. And out there, if 95% of them are experiencing, quote, the contrast, which I would describe more as the misery. Oh, well, the contrast that we were referring to was difference. The contrast okay. is variety, not misery. But most of the variety, people are living miserable lives but for the see, most part. But you see, you don't part. have access to other than that when you feel the way you feel. In other words, you, you don't feel, you, you can't attract otherwise. That's what's so interesting about law of attraction. When you make up your mind about something, it becomes your vibrational offering. And when it's your vibrational offering, law of attraction says, here's more evidence, yes, here's yes, more evidence, yes. here's more evidence, here's more evidence. Until we, you run into somebody until out there. Until you croak, until you croak, and then you find all that you've put in the vortex and then you understand and then you become then you become a chorus or a voice with the likes of Abraham in order to explain that there was a misunderstanding law of attraction proved its point to you I can do that and I've done that I'm saying I've done a lifetime of this and at this moment maybe because I'm just in divorce and a little bitter I don't know but <laughs> at this moment I'm doing an assessment it's time well, to do an assessment. We, we want to say to you, and we mean this as much as we have ever been able to convey it to another, we have enjoyed this interaction immensely. It is deeply satisfying to us to hear someone with strong conviction. And we want to say to you that you're not wrong in your perspective. And law of attraction will prove you right. We just want to ask the simple question, is this what you want to be proven as right? Because it is not the work that we are upon and we do not believe it is the work you are upon either. Because if it were, you would be taking joy in this perspective and you are not. Good time for a segment of refreshment. I read a lot of philosophy because I had the belief that with enough awareness and well-designed system, the human species could flourish. 
I, I realize now no system will ever work because human beings are only interested in pursuing their own selfish interests at the expense of others. If you chance to meet a friend. In the last couple of years, I've lost all hope. You cannot minimize what goes on out there with a single pleasant sounding word like contrast. Do not let it stay. So I came here today to tell you that as I survey the infestation on this planet, I am disgusted. Quickly turn it upside down and smile that frown away. I now feel mostly hatred for people and their ignorance, stupidity, and petty strivings towards shallow money trenches they dig to insulate themselves and parade around in tacky luxury. No one likes a frowning face. I see the majority of people trapped in lives that bear no resemblance to their desires and more often than not suffering in the most awful ways as a result of others inserting themselves in their experience. Change it for a smile. And you're never going to convince me that six million victims of World War II genocide, or any of the other many genocides over history for that matter, were all a match to their experience. I have absolutely no doubt that history will repeat itself, and wars will dominate the majority of people once again. Make the world a better place by smiling all the Today, I'm joined by fellow infant Tom Perry and our newest, bestest friend of the podcast, Christy Johnson, who we just interviewed for her documentary, No Crime in Sin, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime. But the clip that you heard at the introduction here was from a man who was attending an Abraham Hicks workshop. Who is Abraham Hicks, you ask? Well... Let's take a stroll back through time, shall we? Let's use our imagination and imagine that you are one of your early Mormon ancestors who joined the early Mormon church because you were excited about this prophet slash mystic guy named Joseph Smith who was getting all kinds of messages directly from God, telling you that you can also receive direct messages from God. And the excitement of all of this just brought you and so many other people together out of the pure joy and excitement that you found in having these kinds of conversations about these kinds of things. Can you picture that? Well, now imagine that instead of Joseph Smith, it's a woman named Esther Hicks. And instead of speaking for God the Father of the Old and New Testaments and all the coolest religions, that she was speaking for and on behalf of the cosmic intelligence of everything that ever is, was, or will be, that she named Abraham. And that Abraham, this cosmic intelligence, actually speaks through her. And then baked into these messages, coming through Joseph and Esther are things like the eternal nature of intelligences, the eternal progression of man, the idea that as man is, God once was, and that as God is, man may become, and the idea of spiritual gifts, the power of faith, that as a man thinketh, so is he, that the worth of a soul is great, that man is, that he might have joy, that there must needs be opposition in all things, but that all sins are wiped away, they're wiped clean by a loving God, and that all these things shall give the experience. But instead of the opposition, and there must need to be opposition in all things, let's call that contrast, because that's what Esther Hicks or Abraham Hicks calls it, and that's what this guy in the clip that you just heard is responding to. You cannot minimize what goes on out there with a single pleasant sounding word like contrast. If there really is this loving God, why is there all of this contrast? How can it be? It doesn't make any sense, and I'm not going to take it anymore that you just use a simple clean name like contrast or opposition to explain away the problem of evil. 
It's very similar to what many of you have also felt about these ideas that came to you from Joseph Smith. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm so grateful to Tom and to Christy for engaging me in this conversation. And I hope that you enjoy it as well, because here it comes right now. In that, or whatever we're going to be discussing this evening, I actually got hooked up to some of her recordings back in February. I was mesmerized by them because I was like, wait a second, I know this voice, right? Mm. So I used to write down notes and listen to her, and I don't even know who referred me over to her or how I found her. And I was just like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So I was freaking out, like when you brought her up and said, Hey, you want to come back? And I was like, Oh my God, that's so weird. Well, that is, that's yeah, the universes. Uh-huh. Well, I, good or wow. bad. Cause boy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the poop on this parade, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I am the poop not on the parade. That's lovely. That's well, a good... Yeah. Cause it rain on the parade doesn't work. It's not good enough. Yeah. This is, yeah. I, I went down the hole of like trying to research, I, I I don't even dare call her a woman because apparently she's not a woman. She's a woman. No, no, she claims she's not. to be this she, person, though. Well, she's the channeling of the infinite universe or whatever it is. Just so like she, you are, Tom. <laughs> just like, <I laughs> just like you are, just like we just all are. Like we all in our own minds. In our own one mind. of us is doing it. Yes, we are one legends in our own mind. <laughs> she was born in Colville, Utah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Okay. Husband, husband was a successful Amway distributor early in his life. Uh-huh. And then he was a circus acro- ac- acrobat for two years in Cuba. I don't know, man. They, yeah. Yeah. Hey. And Joseph Smith was a treasure hunter, so, you know. Yeah, right. And we, we saw how I ended up with that. This is really interesting. I just cannot believe my connection early on this year. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And I had to wear glasses because something freaking weird happened to my right eye overnight. Yeah. Oh, no. Maybe somebody was pulling a moat out of it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So I had to Send put them on and over to Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, did someone like uh, fart in my pillow? I don't know what this is. Like, it's just like got all red. So oh, wow. if it would, that would be a mark of true intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> I do not share my bet. Thank you very much. <laughs> so are, are we going to start? We've started. <laughs> all right. So. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Talk. talk. No, I mean, no, 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 no. Ready to start it. Just let the poop flow. You oh. have to. I've got to get something squared away right from the get go. All right. And Glenn, help me understand why in the hell. Okay, how you got turned on to this nonsense? Two, why, <laughs> why is it that you think this is awesome? Why is well, it first, for first, like. First of all, I think it's awesome because I don't think it's nonsense. But how I got, how I got turned on to it is my very, very good friend, Cammie. Uh, okay. Me to it. Uh, you're not going to make me. I, listen, Cammie gets the pass. Like she's. Uh, yeah. All right. Is that what you're doing? You're going to make me. <laughs> Throw her under the bus. I don't no, you don't have to throw anybody under the bus. Okay, good. I don't want I, to throw I, anybody I, under the bus. And I'm I just, want your honest response to this. You don't okay. have to pull any punches or hide anything. All right. So if we are just going to go off that 
that 20 minute clip. First of all, how is it that you didn't pick up on the fact that no one wanted to touch this with the 10 foot pole? Do you think that there might be a reason why? I mean, this thing is, it, it's a You're asking the wrong question, Tom. The real question is, do I care enough to uh, leave it alone? And the answer to that is alone. clearly no. I want, <laughs> I want to talk about it. So, I mean, if, if, if my friends uh, don't want to talk about it, I'll find other friends to talk about it. And that's cool. And my friends, no, I do want to talk. So my I, friend here want to talk about, but I, but I like talking about this. Okay. Okay. I do want to talk about it, but I'm mostly, I'm, uh, I don't know. This, this is so strange. This, this is so strange. It's, it's, it's off. It's like, it took me. So I, the first time you sent it, I was so confused like, <laughs> that I just kind of spaced it off. I'm like, I have no clue as to what is happening. And then the second time when you reminded me the other night or whatever, the other day, and when you're like, did you listen to it, Tom? Did you? I mean, because I really want, and so I'm like, all right, I'll go back and remind, refresh my mind. And so I did, and and I was paying attention. Yeah. So 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 let's and, and just so that you know, Christy, we did we did two episodes earlier this spring that were called Conversations with Quad, and I I presented it as this this fictional writing that I did that was based on a book called Conversations with God. Um, and it, it was kind of like channeled writing that I, I like tapped into. Like I would ask my inner self these questions and my inner self would give these, these answers. Uh -huh. And I don't have any problem at all saying I'm using my imagination to do that, to play those different roles. Sure. Um, you know, like, so, so it, to me, it's, it's not that different from a musician getting up on stage and playing an instrument or a comedian getting on stage and telling jokes uh, you, you know, what, what Esther Hicks is doing is she's getting up on stage and she's talking to people in the persona of Abraham. And when people ask her, who is Abraham? Abraham says, well, we're, we're not a single person. Um, for one thing, we're, we're multiple eternal intelligences that are communicating with Esther in thought forms and she's taking those thought forms and translating them into language. And so it's, it's her words, it's her style, it's her, but how is that any different from when you have a question, Tom, that comes from somewhere inside of you and you form words to speak it out of your mouth? How is that different? Because I'm not giving that thought or whatever it is, uh, an identity, and then I'm using plural nouns right. <laughs> when I when I vocalize my opinion. And talking about yourself my thought. Third, like George Costanza. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or, or what she was doing, which confused the hell out of me, where she, she kept referring to herself in we or us. Like what in the hell? And I kept looking behind her like, well, who's she talking about? And then I kept thinking yeah. it's gotta be her husband, right? Like she's, she's speaking for in, or in behalf of him. Right. Oh, there's no. the Mormon in you right there. Yeah, right. But, but, of, but no, it's, it's, it's even worse than that. It's, it's this, I'm channeling all these. No, whatever's. Okay. So for, first of all, Tom, let yes, me, please, let me, let me please. state again. <laughs> Please. This can be just a big fiction. And I, I mean, I'm cool with that. But the, yeah. but the way that I envision it, you know how many 
atoms are in your body right now. We've had this conversation so before. Many. Conversation. Yeah, right. And if each, like those atoms are indestructible. They've been parts of other things before they were ever part of you. Mm-hmm. And they've experienced things, whatever an atom experiences, mm. they've experienced it from that point of view. And if there is any kind of absorption of intelligence that goes along with those atoms, we, we've had this conversation before. How would they mm-hmm. communicate with us? What would they be? Would they say I, or would they say we? And, and what the Abraham, <laughs> what, what it presents itself as is this, these multiple cosmic intelligences that are all focusing at a similar vibrational level. And I know that sounds kooky, but that, that Esther comes to them at that same vibrational level and, and she gets thoughts and impressions just the way that you get thoughts and impressions, just the way that I get thoughts and impressions. And she expresses them. What? And, and yeah. so, like, if you can forget about, I, I understand the, the shock effect, like jumping into a really cold pool of water and you're just like, <gasps> you know, but, but once you settle in and get used to that, like, what about the messages? What about the things that are being said? That, that's you. where I get really, really interested okay. in it, yeah. especially because it mirrors so many of the conversations that you and I have had around like the problem of evil and justice and, you know, how sure. to be a good loving God in the world and still be all these horrible problems. And we've got Christy here who's joined us, who's gone through some of the most horrific things that I can imagine. And, you know, so like, let's, 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 let's talk about these ideas that were presented here in these concepts and, and weigh whether or not we think it's nonsense based on that content and how it, speaks to us rather than on the, the way that it's packaged. Well, well, I think the way that it's packaged is important only because yeah. it, it, what you were just talking about is, you know, your, the, the, whether it's the vibration of the atoms and all that stuff. And so you're using sort of that platform and then you're pulling things or cherry picking at some of the stuff that she's using or whatever it is. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like cherries, so, Tom. What's wrong? Because blueberries are better, okay? So, <laughs> so the thing is, is she, the, and I know I'm getting triggered a little bit a little, or a lot of bit lot from of her because this is a charlatan here. And I don't know if you've, if, if you've read like on the Wikipedia page, she's worth like $12.5 million. She does these workshops. These people go around and follow her and buy all of her seminars and books and whatever. I mean, she's making a killing off people and, and, even that clip that you shared where it seems like this guy is essentially, I don't know, he's, he's kind of challenging her a little bit or a lot of bit. And, and then she has to, I don't know, be demeaning to, to him by, Oh, let me, let me get down to your level. Okay. Move your hat. I want to speak to you. And, and he's like, no, no, this is, you're, what are you doing? Why is that demeaning that she wants to like look at his face and see who because she's, she's trying she's trying That's to humanizing dude no not not when you're on camera not when you're in an audience he that, didn't want to be on camera and he never was no she was this is her this is her thing she has control okay. she's the one just she's <laughs> she's actually manipulating the entire environment to her benefit and so when she comes down to his level says, I'm going to speak to you. And then all the stuff that she says, she did so much deflecting. She didn't actually answer a lot of his points and questions, which were really good, by the way. Instead, she took... You're going to have to defend those two claims there. I'm more than happy to. I hope you wrote down examples of where she... I didn't didn't write them down, but I was hoping... I'd love to go to them. Okay, cool. 
But the fact that she keeps saying, you're being pessimistic. And what you need to do is you need to be optimistic. And he's like, no, I'm actually talking about real. What's happened real, like in the world, like other people's decisions and behaviors can actually affect you and your life. Tragically, everything. And what you're saying is, oh, no, you can just snap out of it. And I can't. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I don't know, dude. And you know that she has a connection to the secret, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I just wanted to make sure. All right. Are you talking about the book, The Secret? Yeah, or the movie. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, and, and the movie. They, there, there were two different versions of The Secret that came out. One of them included her and her husband, Jerry, and the other one didn't. And, and one of the clips of hers that I've listened to is where she talks about the reasons why behind it. But yeah, so I'm familiar with that. And, and the reason is because this idea of the law of attraction that she brings up um, in the course of this clip that we did. And that's really what the secret is based on, this idea of law of attraction. But she doesn't yeah. really agree with the way that they've used the law of attraction. And she doesn't really ally herself with the secret and what's happened out of that movement. But yeah, so yeah, I, I am familiar with that. But but I I, I want to open this up to, to you, Christy, to to anybody that's sitting on um, on this, and uh, I, I I'm interested to know what you saw or what you thought the message was. Um, but I also want to know how you would respond to the concerns that that Tom has here, because I I fully I fully understand and accept the validity of every single concern that you have there. Like you're going to validate all my concerns. Are you? <laughs> yes. yeah. Thanks buddy. This yeah. is no. so beautiful. I need a tissue. Hold on. Just <laughs> hold space. Brotherly love. Tom, Tom's got yeah. plenty of tissues next to his soiled socks. <laughs> I just think it's important to, you know, what I've learned through my life is I don't discount anyone. I always try to uh, give people a chance you know, I, I, I've spent so much time in my head, and I think it's okay to allow yourself to be open. You know, after leaving the Mormon church and having been born in it and raised in it, um, knowing that that was all based on lies, um, you know, with bits of truth here and there, but mostly lies. And when you get down to it, and that was shocking to the soul mm. and to my brain and my system and my spirit, you know, that throws your whole world off. And then you become very critical of anything else that's going to come in. But it takes time, you know, to heal from that. And, you know, but I have allowed myself to study different things. And I'm always like, well, what if, what if they're right, though? What if they are onto something here? So I don't always, you know, try to think like, oh, it's the way they present themselves because, you know, some people aren't sophisticated and some people are too sophisticated. So it's kind of like you just have to listen to the message and if it resonates with your spirit, you know, there, there might be some truth to it. Well, I, th I think what you're saying there is important, but I also want to just throw this in, in there as well. Coming from a Mormon background, we have to acknowledge that we were manipulated and, and there's even a systematic, I don't know if it's like a cultural pot that we're all put in where it kind of forces us to be gullible or uh -huh. even easily manipulated. And um, because we don't, you know, you're not really taught to think for yourself. Like you said, it, those that go through the faith crisis and all that stuff, you have to learn the critical thinking skills that 
lot of other people that aren't in that melting pot of, of being manipulated in the Mormon church already have. So we have to learn that at a later stage in our life. Yeah. So that's, that's why I, I still think that it's really important to pay close attention to those triggers or those things that happen to us that still make us easily manipulated. Like I can be, I know that I'm still gullible. I still know that I can be manipulated easily. I can be taken advantage of, I, you know, whether it's an MLM or whatever it is, I know that I can still be sucked into this stuff. And it takes, it takes even a little bit more than just critical thinking skills. You have to like watch for red flags. And that's, and that's essentially what I'm saying with Esther here is there's quite a few red flags that I see that really cause alarm for me. So that's what I'm saying there. Anyway. No, and I, th- I think you're absolutely right, especially when you leave the church. People don't who have not either been raised in it or so when it's so ingrained into you. I mean, people don't understand what we've had to go through. And it is more than just leaving a religion. It is literally your entire soul and your being and everything that you are, you know. And you do. You have to learn those critical thinking um, things because people can still take advantage of you. It's boy, that was really well said. You did a good job. You oh, did. Thanks. You did. A, you did a very good job. Yeah. And I and I'm I'm going to throw it back at you a little bit, Tom. Please, because you, you <laughs> cannot evaluate anything using critical thinking skills if you refuse to listen to what I'm okay. saying. So, Absolutely. So, so I, I think identifying the concerns up front, going, I don't know, it seems like she's duping all these people. Sure. It seems a little fishy. Um, and and there's so many parallels to Mormonism here, not only in the way that she's kind of presenting herself as an intermediary between God and man, Mm-hmm. I'm going to deliver the message to you. Like we've seen that before. Sorry, I'm not interested. Right. I, I don't want to follow someone like that makes that claim ever again. Um, mm. And there's also the parallels and some of the things that I find most interesting about the content of, of this thing is some of the things that she's saying, I see mirror some Mormon beliefs and worldview very closely. And, sure. and that can be very triggering too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I can see and this is why I, I say with all sincerity, I validate all of your concerns. They're totally valid concerns. Mm-hmm. And I share them. And I, and I shared them when I first came into um, not only this Abraham Hicks stuff, but all of it, you know, like talking with Krista the Psychic, with who we've had on the podcast before. And, you know, I, I always have that in the back of my mind. Kind of, mm-hmm. And that's why I have to say it's a fiction. That's why I have to say, okay, I'm going to accept this as a fiction. Now I can it's not like I'm dismissing the red flags. I'm just moving them off to the side so that I can. That sounds like dismissing to me. Uh, I think he's just giving it a chance. I think, you know what? Sometimes it's okay to step outside like your head though and put those things aside a little bit and maybe just be a little vulnerable. Yeah. Willing to be receptive. This is, this is interesting because I think you're, you know, I'm, I'm following your line of thinking and I, and I'm entertaining it, but I will say if, if, if you realize that what you're going to put yourself into, like entertain these thoughts or even let them digest in your, in your mind and whatever, you have to also acknowledge that there's going to be some things that could sneak in, especially if you know the, of the red flags and you're still willing to turn into the construction area, re- realizing that you could essentially get stranded or you're 
truck is going to get demolished or whatever it is, knowing like, well, I'm going to take a chance. Yeah. If you know the risk is moderate to high and you still go down that path. Yeah. Hey, you know, well, I, I, I would hope that our friendship would be one Tom where you could look at me <laughs> and say that guy's wandered into the construction site. He hasn't been dinged in the head too hard with too many things. Well, it, but he's only called for a tow truck occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, but, but don't we all, you know, yeah, so, I, so I, 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 um, you know, what's interesting is to hear something like this and to test it. Yeah. What if you test something? What if you put something out there in the universe and it actually comes through? Would you believe that there is some truth to maybe part of it? Well, you, but you, that's a really good point. But you also have to take into consideration that it, you're completely subjective, right? I mean, you can't, you can't play that off as, well, my experience is now objective for others or to mm-hmm. everyone else. So if you do experience something, and it, like I guess I'm playing in the spiritual realm, if you're feeling something, if you're getting a connection or something's happening, you have to acknowledge that that's individualistic. Mm-hmm. I think, I think so. That's just, I do too. That's just I think it's opinion. individual. I'll tell you something. I'll give you an example. Um, I was, oh, what is that guy's name? Tony Robbins. I was really into him for, um, I, I think he's wonderful. I don't know anything bad about him, but I remember years ago, um, I was reading his book, Awaken the Giant Within, and he was talking about throwing things out in the universe, just writing a bunch of stuff, and then just saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I was leaving the state of California and moving to Washington. Um, I didn't know what job I was going to have. I didn't know what was ahead of me. I was just moving and taking a new, you know, starting a new life. And I ran into a friend, um, and I talked to him on my way, literally pulled over, saw him. And I said to him, he goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm moving to Washington. I'm going to be uh, doing some voiceovers and I'm going to be on the radio. And he goes, wow, that's really incredible. And I said, well, thank you. I hope to do very well out there and didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So sure enough, I get into Washington, find a place to live. And I answered this ad of, an, of a newspaper that had something for radio sales like to sell space on radios. So I answered the ad, don't have any experience in sales, never want to be a salesperson. I sent in my resume. They called me in and they're interviewing me and they're like, you know, your voice is extremely unusual. Like it's one of those raspy, you know, voices that people like. And I said, oh, thanks, you know. And they said, well, you know, would you ever think about maybe being on the radio? Did you have you ever thought about that in your life? And I was like, yeah. And then they said, so then I started actually being like, they taught me how to be a producer for a lady. Long story, I end up producing a radio show and end up being on the radio and ended up starting to be requested to do voiceovers for commercials. That's cool. That happened within a year of me moving to Washington. So Hmm. that was kind of cool because I said it and then it kind of came into fruition Mm -hmm. just by answering an ad Mm -hmm. for a radio station to do sales. No, that's really cool. Just my little story, but I but I don't want I don't want to. <laughs> okay, I'm a big girl. You can just all right. Say, well, yeah, I, all I all I would say is just as a, a disclaimer, a caveat on that is that you know that's that's a hit out of however many misses. You know, it, even in my own life, I could probably share I don't know a dozen different stories of where I tried to think something into fruition. I mean, my 
the, the biggest example to me is to become a sports athlete. I spent a lot of time visioning and practicing and training to become, you know, like an, an all state football player. And it just like, I kept running into whether it's physical barriers or mental barriers or, you know, team environment barriers, whatever it is, coach limitations, but I never got there. Now, I mean, what is that? Is that the fact that I didn't believe it hard enough? That I didn't wish it hard enough? That I didn't want it hard enough? Because all that's bullshit. I wanted that more than anything. In fact, I have vivid memories of obsessing about that more than anything else in the world. Like nothing else existed besides wanting to play football. So, you know, it's like... Why do you think it didn't happen for you? I think there's multiple factors. I think my, you know, whether it's my biological body or whatever, it, it, whether I do think that my body has limitations and I can, I can push them and sometimes exceed my limitations depending on my skill set, my training and practice and all that stuff. But I also think that there's a lot of environmental factors that I have no control over, like my coach, all the other teammates, how, how often I'm played, you know, there's there's so many elements to my success as a football player because there's you know so many players on the field at one time it's like hitting the lottery a dozen times in a row almost for a football player to be that successful and so that's why i feel like it doesn't it didn't do really really do me a lot of good to put all my chips on that thinking that that was going to pay out when I, if in reality, if you pull back and you look objectively, the odds were really, really against me being success, being su- successful. So it really played out the way it should have statistically. But if it would have worked out, then maybe I would have had that same story like, hey, I, I committed myself, I tried hard, and I believed in myself, and look at me, I'm a success. Now I've, now I've got my own shoe line, I, I do commercials, I'm, I'm a multimillionaire. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, but you're also 1% of 1% of 1% of 1%. You know, you're that lottery, lottery, lottery winner, and congratulations, and, and that's great. But no one really looks at the hundreds or thousands of people that didn't get there. They tried that same path that didn't quite get there. And instead, it's more like, well, just keep trying. Try something else. Yeah. It's like until something else sticks, I guess. That's really, it, it is interesting what you're saying. You know, it's like, you know, with our film, if I can just talk about that for a second. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know, people are always asking, like, how did that happen of all the thousands of cases out there, how did yours happen to fall into getting a documentary made? I do not know how it happened. I mean, I know what, what happened. You know, for me, I saw one of my friends online. It was that Michelle girl that I grew up, you know, yeah. was a child with. And she was writing, uh, she's writing a book and she had posted about her abuse. I contacted her and was like, man, I, I went through the same thing at the same time. So she was like, you need to call this phone number. There's a group called Restore Humanity. They're out of Utah. Just call them. They, they'll talk to you. They're, they're good listeners. You know, and I said, oh, okay. So I, I called him and Mark Lawrence happened to answer the phone that day. And I talked to him for a while and he was so kind and loving. And I just was not used to that. And then he said, you know, um, I have a friend who, who's a filmmaker 
who, who's been working on stuff. And he said, would you mind if I gave him your information? And I said, no, not at all. And then I got a phone call and I it started talking to Jared Ruga, you know, over a long period of time. And, you know, he wanted to know the paper trail I had. He wanted to know what proof we had. He wanted to know certain things because they were looking to make a documentary. Why that happened for our family over other people, to me, that was just like some kind of an interruption that was made in the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, because of where I was in my, I have no idea. There are other people who have had way more horrendous stories that could, their stories would be unbelievably very important for people to hear. But why our family? Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. But all I know now is like, I'm just going for it. You know, whatever we can do to help. But I've been asked that so many times and it's kind of like what you said. It's like you can try and hang in there and do everything that you can, but why are there, the, it seems like these interruptions in the universe where it almost seems like someone's driving the, the force to make things happen beyond your control. I yep. so. Yeah, there's, there's so many factors. It's timing, it's people, it's connections. It's, it, you know, it's the, the severity of whatever the content is, or in your case, the severity of the trauma might have grabbed some people's attention. It, there's, there's, like I said, there's so many factors that have to line up and everything has to be just right. And then if, if, you know, if you do what you can on your end and then that opportunity and all those factors line up, then maybe, you know, it can take off. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Can you tie this back into, like, cause I know there's a connection. I know there's a reason why you're bringing this up as a, as a resistance that you have to what, you're hearing from originally like because because this isn't really what the guy was talking about but it's got to be related somehow so could the guy in the video you mean yeah well originally the tangent that we were just on is because we were talking about kind of like what the secrets based off of if if you think it and it'll happen oh the law of attraction kind of thing i don't I, yeah whatever that is okay, i haven't right. read the book so speak it into existence right, right speak it into it isn't really yeah okay i got it yeah Anyway, so should we go into what this guy was talking about? If you're ready. Oh, Tra- Tracy's oh. got something she wants to, to say. Okay. Um, let Bye. me unmute you, Tracy. Go ahead. I was just wondering if you think that, uh, Christy, your father being willing to come on might have had something to do with the documentary being on, because most abusers aren't going to go on and admit what they did. Yeah, you know, thank you so much for asking that. It's interesting because um, we were going to meet with our father with or without him agreeing to be on film. So we told him ahead of time when we were asking him if we could film him, you know, we we don't have to have this crew. You know, we want to meet with you anyway. But yeah, the fact that he was in agreement to that, we were shocked. So I do think that was just another thing falling into place that helped bring about this documentary because I can't imagine it uh, going as well as it did without his participation and his vulnerability and being able to uh, be, you know, raw like that, whether he was faking it or not, it, it, it was, people needed to see that. So, you know. All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so let, let's let's get into the um, 
the, this, uh, I, I, and I don't know what the, the name of the guy is, but, but maybe you could summarize, Tom, what, what was he saying? Uh, what, what was his big concern that he was presenting that he traveled all the way to talk to Esther Hicks, AKA Abraham? Well, I'm going to do a terrible job, but I'm going to do my best to summarize what I perceived he was trying, what his point was, or what he's trying to get her to respond to was that there are factors outside of our own thoughts or our own decisions, because it seems like she says we choose our lives or we choose our destinies or whatever it is. That's the problem is like, I don't really know. He had, he definitely has a disagreement with her or her perspective, her teachings or whatever it is. And so he comes at it by saying, you know, there's things that happen in, in our lives that we have no control over whatsoever. And the fact that you continue to tell me or us, and he says, I spent a lifetime talking about this or thinking about this, that there are just some external things that happen that we have no control over and they're terrible Mm. and they're tragic and they're awful. Yeah. And, and we're victims of that, whatever it might be. And then he brings up, of course, the Holocaust. And he says, are you going to be, are you going to tell someone who endured the Holocaust that they should have just thought about it harder or that maybe they, they chose that circumstance. Are you telling me that they chose to be there to endure that and that there's some glorious outcome after that? Because the honest truth is, is no, it's a horrific thing. And if, and, there's got to be a way that she or all of us need to acknowledge that some existences or some lives or some experiences for some people are just so tragic and so awful that we need to validate that experience by not diminishing it saying, well, you know, you know, your, your tragedy, your trauma is still something that you should cherish and celebrate. Mm-hmm. No, it's awful. And, and most people died from it. So can we just say there are terrible, horrible things that happen to people and that is it. They didn't choose it. It was out of their control. It was, and why is it that, yeah, so I guess that's what I'm saying. I could go on, but yeah, that's, that's essentially what it sounded like to me he was saying. And then she continued to use her propaganda by saying, <laughs> okay. By saying, okay, I validate you, what you're saying. And what you're saying is our words. All right. Let, and let, and let, I'm let's hearing your right words. Here, and, we'll, and we'll go along okay. to, her, to, to her response later. But, all right, all right. but first, I, I want to grade your summary, if I can. Please. Can I, can I yes. assign it a grade? Yes. I, you know, I'm going to give it an A. Maybe, maybe oh, an wow. A minus. There, there were a couple of things that. Um, I'll take it. Wow. Yeah, no, it was really good. And, and one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation is because it mirrors so closely conversations that you and I have had. And, and yes. he, he articulated your, the, the way that you detest anybody trying to put a smiley face or like a ray of sunshine on suffering. You're yeah, like, tie a bow on it. it. Yeah. Stop it. Just stop it. Uh-huh. So, so um, just, just some background on some of the messages of, of Abraham Hicks. One is this idea of contrast. And he said right off the start, you can't take all of these horrible, unspeakable acts 
that people do towards each other and using a word like contrast. Like right. I, I can't accept that. And, and so what she means by contrast is one of these things that I think is similar to the Mormon worldview of there must needs be opposition in all things and that all <laughs> these things you experience and that we came here on this earth to exp- you know, it went through a veil of forgetfulness. Right. So we would um, experience contrast and conflict and some of that contrast and conflict is this horrible stuff so that that's part of the background then you also identified very well i thought um this idea of law of attraction and the way that uh abraham will say that your thoughts determine your outcomes in life and i i want to spend some more time talking about that law of attraction later and and especially because the way when when i hear law of attraction i substitute confirmation bias and that makes it way easier of a pill to swallow because i get confirmation bias and i think that's what she means by law of attraction Mm. but 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 the if if you if you take the this idea of law of attraction that all i have to do is think something and it comes true i think you're missing the point and i and i think that's what I think, I think a lot of people believe that. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, and I think it's a false way to believe, you know, we agree. Who am I to say, but I just, I have a problem with it that way. But, Mm -hmm. but when you talk about it as like confirmation bias, that once you make up your mind that something is a certain way, you're going to get confirmation of that bias Mm -hmm. everywhere you see. And you're going to be blinded to things that are, that contradict what you've already determined. And that absolutely shapes the way that you experience your reality. So mm-hmm. the, the third point is that you, cre- everybody creates their own reality. And he's saying, you can't tell me that children like Christy, who were terribly abused by a, a person that should have loved them and trusted them mm-hmm. for their entire life, that she's responsible for that because she thought it and she willed it into existence. I'm sorry. I reject yeah. that. I will. I, I cannot believe that. Um, and what I heard, and, and if you're ready to, to move away from the summary of this guy's argument into her response, let me just pause and see if anybody else wants to say anything about his concerns. I, can I tell you something really quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was sitting in a Sunday school class when I was Mormon uh, after everything had come out. And the Sunday school teacher was letting us know that in the pre-earth life, right. we literally chose everything that we wanted to go through and the lessons we wanted to learn here. Similar experience. I had a similar. Me too. I heard that. Yeah. So I'm calling bullshit, right? <laughs> so I right. raise my hand and I'm like, so what about me? You know, I was abused, raped, you know, right. and, and all this. And she's like, well, that's because you chose that in the pre-earth life, you know, with Good your God. father. And I said, so my dad was doing God's will. And then she goes, I think we'll end here. And I said, yeah, I could end here. Because I was just like, yeah, I wasn't going to fight that. I was like, oh, hell no. And you put them in a corner because there's no good way to answer that. Yeah, you're yeah, exactly right. But that's the way of the thinking. I do not like people that say that either, that everything's predestined and you chose it. And, yeah. you know, I'm a better person because I was traumatized for the first 12 years, you know, whatever you know, it is. Yeah, this this is a difficult thing because a lot of people do hold their trauma as a cherished thing by saying I'm I'm the person that I am because of my trauma or my you know my terrible horrific experience. 
and and they look at it like I would, you know, if I could go back and and change anything, I wouldn't because then I wouldn't be the person I am today. If I didn't experience these terrible, tragic things, I wouldn't be who I am today. And my thought is always, how do you know you wouldn't be a better person not having gone through that shit? Yeah. You never. That, you, that is bullshit. Because I would have been a way better person. All of us would have been better. I wanted to go to law school. I was set to do a bunch of things with my life at one point, um, you know, but I was bogged down by everything that had happened. And it does, it rewires your brain, your thinking, you doubt God, you don't know. The moment you touch a child and you do anything like that, their whole life is completely changed from that moment forward. You literally have changed the course of their life, no matter if they if things work out for them eventually, but you have now rewired someone's life at that very given moment. And that's why I think these people need to be punished to the very most extreme way you can do it. Yeah, the, the metaphor of what putting a, putting an anchor, well, it's not an anchor. What's that thing that- Millstone. Millstone around the neck. I got neck. that memorized. Yeah, so so when when someone's traumatized like that, especially a child, they mm-hmm. now have to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. A life sentence, and, and it affects it, everything. Yeah, you have to. You more or less just have to learn to live your life with it. Yeah, so you have to make sense of it, and you have to find peace with it. Because if you carry that thing the rest of your life, you will die an early death of diseases. Your heart will be hardened, and it's hard because it's up to you. That's the hardest thing in the world because yeah. you're in charge of yourself, and that's hard. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Sunday school example and the, the Mormon teaching, and whether it's an official doctrine or it's a folk doctrine, it doesn't really matter. It's really pervasive, and it, I think it's a pretty good indication of how a lot of Mormons think and, and how I definitely thought when I was growing up and still do in certain ways, which is, which is one of the things that I like about the Abraham messages, because it's, it's like soothing to that part of my brain that started forming, believing these kinds of things. But I've also, I've, I've, I, I went to, to California uh, a week ago um, and I drove for probably about 12 hours and for about eight hours of those 12 hours, I listened almost nonstop to Abraham Hicks YouTube. And it was like, I I had listened to maybe two or three before, um, but it was, it was a baptism by immersion. And I really, I really loved it. And, and it's, it's hard because I I don't remember which ones because, because I listened to so many um, at once, Mm. it'd be hard for me to go back and find it. But there was, there was one where somebody asked her um, more about this idea of a pre-existence and, you know, developing your own curriculum for the suffering that you're going to go through. Um, mm. And they were asking specifically about like soulmates and like predetermination, all those sure. And she scoffed at it. She said, yeah, people make up all of these stories to try to explain their life. That's not what we mean at all. It's, it's, it's not that there is, is one certain path that if you deviate it from it, you've made a mistake. It's, it's that when you, made the choice to, to be embodied, you know, and it's weird language, it's new age language. And that's a red flag and that's triggering to me too, but I got to get past it. When, when, why do you have to get past it? If I'm going to examine the ideas, because, because I, I know, I know that all of these words that we're saying to each other right now are symbols, you know, we've talked Uh, and I know you're going to, okay, go to sleep. (laughs) All these symbols. 
but but you know so so like if i can take an idea like uh, law of attraction and go oh that's similar to the idea of confirmation bias so so this symbol and this symbol are both kind of representing the same kind of idea behind it that there's really no way to express except through words like oh, okay it's kind of the same thing so that's what i mean when i say i i get past it i don't get so hung up on on this law of attraction symbol that has so much negative bias around it because of my thoughts about new age and kooky stuff and you know all those things that we talked about before so i so i go all right i'm going to discard my biases with that so that i'm not <laughs> getting away from confirmation bias as much as possible and being open to it um so the the idea of coming into a, a physical form uh with knowledge that you're coming into a world that has these kinds of things. So it wouldn't be, so I, I, I would say that, that if um, I were able to channel Abraham right now, and maybe I can. How are all of you doing? I was, <laughs> so what, what I, what I would say to Christy is of course not, of course you did not come down into this world with the knowledge that your dad was going to do what he did. And of course he was not following God's will when he deviated from those things that inside of him, he knew were right. He knew what he was doing was wrong. And he even told you that Mm -hmm. this, this was not a divine thing from God. And and it is a problem. And what's what's wrong, Tom? Why are you, why are you doing this? I I, I feel the, the butt coming, but. Oh really? Sorry. Yeah. Because that's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll let you finish. I didn't mean to distract you. Sorry. Yeah, you you broke the channel. Sorry, totally in the group. <laughs> I broke the we channel. We were on a roll, man. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. My bad. We were on a roll. Um, <laughs> yeah, all of you were. Yeah, all, all of us were. Oh God. <laughs> but 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 what what Abraham said, and I'll try and find this clip if I can, um, where she's talking about this because you you signed up to have um, conflict. In contrast, and you knew the kinds of things that were going to be here, and you knew that. And, and this is a concept that is buried inside of that twenty-three minute thing that we listened. That in order to understand it better, you have to listen to other things that she said. She she talked at one point about the the when when this guy sees all of the atrocities in the world, and he wants so badly to fix all of them that that desire that he has. She uses this metaphor of launching rockets of desire, and and that the more that people see these injustices and the more that people rise up and say, we've got to fix them, the closer we get to a solution. So what you're doing is, is you are contributing along with so many other people. And she calls it a vibration that that you're at this mental vibration that does eventually bring about the solution to the problem that was concerning you in the first place. So there's, there's nothing wrong and this is what she said that this guy, there's nothing wrong with you thinking what you're thinking or being in a way. And we wouldn't try to talk you out of it. She said, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't try to talk you out of it. We wouldn't want <laughs> you to all of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but, say that. But, there's, but there's, there's more going on than you're able to see. And we are able to see it and yeah. tell you what that is. That's an elite. Don't you see? That's an elitist, like superiority complex that she has going. Or no, but I noticed that that's a triggering thing (laughs) to you a lot. So let's talk about big time. What is it? Why why does that come across as being condescending? And uh, because she has the answer, or excuse me, they have the answer. (laughs) So so they have like that about everybody that knows things that you don't know. No 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 no. Okay, 
there are lots of experts that actually do have answers that I don't have. And I do bow to their expertise for kiss them on the pinky ring too. If I need to. Yeah. If they'll (laughs) they'll give me their information, I will kiss their pinky or toe. (laughs) But when it comes to someone like Abraham, Mm -hmm. who is pontificating all this bullshit who's just most of the stuff that she's saying is just new agey self-helpy like oh what i'm saying very toned in spiritualism naturalism humanism all this nonsense and a lot of it is actually pretty good stuff but it's recycled stuff but she's not actually answering his question. Instead, what she's doing is she's placating to the emotion. Like, I, what you're saying is true, and what you're saying is right, and I'm going to hold space for that. But we have be- a bigger picture. We have an answer. And if you listen to me long enough, and if you buy enough of my DVDs and books, you'll have a, you'll be so much closer to getting that answer that we already have. You see what I'm saying? Ugh, yeah. <laughs> I, what, what, I, what I'm seeing is confirmation bias at work. Um, for me, yeah. I have confirmation bias. Okay, yes. well, please. Yeah, show me my blind spots. I'm serious. Yeah, please. Well, I, I wouldn't call them blind spots. I'd call them areas of focus. Okay. And, and, and your area of focus is that she is a charlatan and that everything she's saying is nonsense and bullshit. I think that is a confirmation bias that I have. And like I said, I, I'm paying really close attention to these red flags. Yeah. And, and as much as you are ignoring the red flags, I'm paying attention to them. So I'm taking the detours and you're like, nah, it's risky. I've got a 20% chance of getting through here. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but I've got to. Why, why, why do you think I'm ignoring them? Well, it's not that I, that's a bad word. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I think it's more of your compartmentalizing them better or that you're because you have the ability to be able to cherry pick the information and then also use the information that you've gathered to this point, you know, like you using confirmation bias, for example, I didn't hear her talk about that. I didn't hear her talk about even critical thinking skills. No, it's, it's, it's in, it's in um, clips where she talks about what the law of attraction is. And and as I listened to her um, explain and define what she means by law of attraction, I went, Oh, I, I, I recognize what she's talking about. I've called it confirmation bias. That's, that's where I've heard this before. But see, one of the problems I have with that is you're listening through a lens that, of your experience. Of my own confirmation bias. <laughs> right. Or your yeah. critical thinking skills or, you know, coming out of a faith crisis, whatever. And, but the problem is, is the majority of the people that listen to her don't have that. And so they're like sponges. And they're just soaking up all this information. And that's, that's kind of where I'm standing, where I'm like, these people don't even have a lot of them. And I, and I really, you know, this, no, I don't, I'm just totally pulling this out of my ass. Okay. I think there's a good percentage of people and I'm just trying to play it safe that are soaking up her information as if it's the gods aren't earnest truth. And they're, and they're taking everything in and then they're, and they're just stacking it up as a foundation for their lives. That's problematic. That's what worries me. And yes, I'm fighting for the simple thinking for themselves and they're just ingesting it. That worries me though. You know, it's like, I, <laughs> what I'd rather do is like send them, uh, you know, 
a subscription to the great courses. Like listen to some really strong science and critical thinking stuff first. And then go listen to Abraham and Esther all you want. All right. So, so what if you have somebody who has listened to a lot of the science stuff? Yeah, sure. And maybe they've been really interested in like quantum theory. And, <laughs> and it could be someone on this call right now. It might, it might be somebody. <laughs> it might be somebody who we talk through. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and goes, oh, okay. So the things that she's saying about um, energy that's eternal and sounds to me like highly evolved forms of life mm-hmm. that have, that have evolved. You know, like you, you remember that clip that I've used a lot from uh, Richard Dawkins when he's talking with Ben Stein about intelligent design and Ben Stein's trying to like set a trap for Richard Dawkins. Um, and Richard Dawkins says, if, if there was a God, he would have had to evolve to get to that place. Mm-hmm. That would have taken, you know, eons and eons of, cosmic time and he wouldn't have been able to have created himself because he you know evolved to that point you know and so therefore richard dawkins is able to say, that's so ridiculous we could say there's not a god okay mm-hmm. but but let's take this very sound scientific principles of evolution that he's talking about and really apply it and say we know what's going on in this planet as far as evolution is concerned we can assume that in this massive universe that there's similar processes going on other places how do we know that there hasn't been forms of life like we we look at humans because that's what we are and our current mental ability as being the apex of intelligence that's the standard by which we measure the entire universe to me that's pretty arrogant Mm -hmm. especially given what we know and and if if you look back two million years ago in our evolutionary history, what are you going to see? Like moving slime? You're not going to see anything that looks like a human today. Sure. Sure. Um, and, and, and we know that evolution is driven by hostility and conflict in the environment that, that life has to adapt to and get stronger to and evolve. And so if you imagine that process through eons and eons of time, like Richard Dawkins talked about, why couldn't you have a species of life that can exist in the most hostile environments, even the vacuum of space? You know, well, our, our scientists today tell us that 95% of the universe is dark matter and they have no idea what it is. Yep. You know, so, so to me, like having that scientific interest gives me space to put some of these things in, to rest them in there and go, okay, maybe, 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 maybe not. You know, I haven't sent any money to Abraham Hicks. I haven't bought any of her books, but there's a lot of these things on YouTube that are free. I'm going to listen to it. Sure. And then I'm going to talk to my friends about it and see, mm. what do you think about it? And that helps me understand more what I think about it. And that's the thing that I, I like about it. So it, it, and, and that is an act of creation. You know, like I'm creating, I'm taking all these pieces of information that I've got and I'm creating this worldview for myself that's based on things of everyone. And that's really what the message is here that you create your own reality and I'm doing it. And, and maybe a better way of saying it is you create your own perception of reality. I don't think anybody would have a, a problem with that. But when you start no. looking at the, the way that your perception of reality impacts your biology, like what real value is there of saying perception of reality is something different than reality? Mm-hmm. Well, here's something deep. I mean, as a Mormon, you know, uh, People always say, oh, the, all these Mormon youth are great, right? And they're confident and they're, they're healthy and they're strong and they go out into the world and they do these great things. But if you think about it, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, 
they're being raised with a false sense of security. So it's Who is the it? idea, the, the Mormons, the Mormons. No, I know. I, I know, the, but I'm, oh. yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. But the thing is, is like, it is a false sense of security because they're basing it off their belief system that they were, you know, righteous in the pre-earth life and they're amongst God's, you know, greatest. And you feed a child that from birth going forward, they're going to feel entitled. They're going to feel very confident going out into the world, you know, and I think it is a false sense of security. Mm. And I think that's why it's so devastating when you find out it's bullshit, you know, because you're like, oh, so I wasn't blessed in the previous life and I'm not God's cream of the crop. And, you know, and it's very humbling, but they go out there with this confidence, but they also go out with entitlement. So they're also very judgmental. Let let me, let let me first restate what I'm hearing you say, Christy, because I've, I've witnessed this myself that, that you have this group of people, Mormons raised, told you are God's chosen people. You get patriarchal blessings that map. I mean, you are it, man. You you are the the most valiant, the most righteous in the preexistence. And you have a gift that other people don't. And it's your role to give it to them. And, and, and that kind of elevates you over people. And so you get this sense of entitlement from that. And, and so like the disgust that you feel in that I have felt as well, that, that like in myself, I don't want to look at another person and think that I'm better than them because I was Mormon and because all of those things, but I know that I did for so long and it's something that I hate and I struggle with and I don't want, but if I look really closely at the reasons why I felt that way, I don't know that it's all of those teachings, or if it was just some of them that distorted it. So if, if you teach children, like you, like you started off saying that they lived before they came here and they are righteous, noble, powerful deity in embryo, that they are children of God, not only children of God, they are God because this energy that evolved to this point that I speculated earlier because it's so boring to live for eternity. You do things to spice it up. Like let's go have some physical experiences (laughs) or I don't know. I don't know for whatever reason. And that, that becomes the whatever atomic energy that becomes the basis of all life. So not just that you're a child of God and that you could become God someday. You are a God right now that's wearing a costume and wearing a mask and playing a game with yourself dressed as, as other people. And when you look in the eyes of somebody else, you're looking into the eye of yourself. You're looking into the eye of God. If you taught everyone that message that anyone you look at is you, anyone you look at is just as good comes from just as noble, just as divine, just as worthy a place as you. And you're, you're not, your mission isn't to go out and bring in the lost people because you're the one that's got the truth and they don't. That's where the message gets corrupted in my, in my mind. So that's, that's how I've processed all of that stuff. And so when, when I hear these kinds of messages from Abraham that I heard in Mormonism, I hear the differences too. And, yeah. and she doesn't talk about the chosenness. Now she does talk about, um, she has this phrase that she'll use called the fringe of I don't know, something. She, she acknowledges that there are some people who are open to this message in this way. And there are people who aren't, but she never says we need to go out and proselytize. We need to bring these people to us. She always says, 
everybody is in exactly the right place for them, doing exactly the right things for them. And this might be triggering too, because then you go, well, what about Christie's dad? He was in exactly the right place. He was doing exactly the right thing. That message gets problematic when you start doing those kinds of things. But, but the overall message is don't judge. Yeah, like more, we're more equal. I, I like the way, because the way you described it, you know, without the Mormony stuff, yeah. is you know, if you raise a child feeling like we are all equal, we are yeah. all loved, you know, we are all the same, um, as far as you know, our importance to our Creator, yeah, that we have that inside of us, all of us. Then you remove all that entitlement, yeah. right? And that's beautiful. The only, you know, we can't be sure of a lot in this life. And it's, it's wonderful to tap into all these different things. And you should be open to learn things. I, I totally believe that. But the thing that has never failed that I've learned in my entire life is love. Right. It really has never failed. It's like you step into the higher law of love. And it's an incredible experience. You know, and it seems like that's the one thing that has never failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I, but how I just, do you feel, Tom, about like somebody who's preaching that message of love and inclusion and equality being worth twelve million dollars? Want to write a check? Or? No, uh, because there are a lot of people um, stating that message without financial motives. So, and, and I guess this was going to my earlier thought is everything that you had said, I've heard hundreds of people say in all kinds of different formats and different areas. And I guess if, if Abraham Hicks is where you're going to get that message, then I celebrate that. But if, but I, but I always, I'm always concerned that there's going to be ways to get other problematic things through that message. Does that make sense? Because I just want, isn't there a way to essentially everything that you'd said, take that message and then deliver it without any manipulation, without any other ulterior motives. Just like what Christy said, love seems to be this universal thing that never seems to fail. If we, if we can just pound that into everyone's mind, Love, 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 accept, 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 do not judge. You know, if, if that's something that we can just universally find a way to get everybody on board with, then I'm, I'm all down with that. I'm just leery about some delivery mechanisms where someone's profiteering off of that message or someone's sliding in other messages along with it. You know, where it's like, I'm ingesting love, love, love. It's like, oh, but she also said that she's going to be doing this workshop in Portland this weekend. And it's like, yeah, but you just got the important message. What are you going to get now? Now you're becoming a follower or something to that extent. It's like the message is so simple and clear that why does it need to have, I guess, a profit? or a leader for that mess for that matter. It's like, we can all speak that to each other. We do. And, well, and, yeah. and I wasn't, I wasn't kidding earlier when I said, Tom, that you channel just as much as she does. No, wait a minute. Expand on that. <laughs> You're channeling? I channel just as Are much. Are you channeling as, right now? I think so. 
<laughs> well, help me understand what you mean. What, what, what I mean is that we're made up of um, this divine atomic energy. Okay, but are you, go, are you going with the assumption that this atomic energy or all these things that make us up are somehow communicating to us or through us? Yeah. Okay, because I, I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to that. That's so, okay. okay. But I, but I, you, don't, you don't have to. But that, that, so so um, what I was responding to you is, is you talking about having a prophet. And, and what one, like, I don't want to turn this into a thing as why Glenn now follows Abraham Hicks and is defending, you know, like as I'm wary of that. <laughs> I know but it kind of feels that way. Huh? I know, I know it does. And your confirmation bias already put me in the first there. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. but, but one of her messages that, that she's not doing anything that the rest of us aren't doing. Ah. And, and that, that you have, you come from the same place. Like when, a, when you listen <clears throat> to the questions, when it's asked, how are you doing this channeling thing? What's going on? You know, what is Abraham? He says, it's, the, it's the same thing that all of you are. It, it's the same thing. It's everything <clears throat> that ever has lived, that will live, that is living now. It's the accumulated knowledge and intelligence. So it's, so it, you asked the question about like that atomic energy inside of us communicating with us. I think it's even more than that. I, I think it's like what we're seeing with our technology today, having the internet and cloud technology where we have all of this stuff that, yeah, it's, it's on a hard drive somewhere, but now it's in a cloud. And when you, when, when with like you, you read um, Homo Deus, you know, which, which is the follow-up to uh, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. And he talks about, the, the, po- the very likely possibility that from humanity will spring another species, mm-hmm. just like you went Homo erectus to Homo sapiens, you're going to go Homo deus. And ha- Homo deus is life and intelligence combined with non-organic material. Mm-hmm. You know? So where would Homo deus evolve to? This intelligence that can d- exist outside of any organic material, non-organic. Or so it's just this cloud of information and intelligence and you know, so when they're talking about vibrations and energy and, you know, that kind of thing, I'm like, okay, well, we're seeing, we're, we're talking through that medium right now, you know, with our, with our technology, we're getting mm-hmm. to a place in time with our technology where these new age concepts are like, oh, okay, I could kind of see how maybe life could evolve and fuse with this thing. And if it could ever become like that in the future, and if Einstein was right about time, that it is relative and that the space time is kind of this fabric thing that is kind of an illusion that we're experiencing, but in actual reality, there is no time. Then if at any, and then this is what Elon Musk says about artificial intelligence. If at any time in the future, it became possible, then it's more probable that it has happened and that we're experiencing it right now. And we don't even mm. know. And that, that's if we're living in a simulation, you know, so it's all, all these different ideas that I love playing in these like, playgrounds and I know, but castles but, with the sand all, all that stuff you were talking about there's so yeah. many branches of thinking there yeah yeah i mean you were going off i mean just the ai thing and the yeah. simulation thing i mean yeah. <laughs> those are those are playgrounds in and of themselves dude. they sure are it's fun huh you well, know what's, yeah oh, you know what's really interesting um when i was trying to talk to people about you know being mormon or becoming a christian or where I am right now, it's like, you know, we are spiritual beings, right? First and foremost, because I think we're eternal and we have this soul. And, you know, people get confused because when they have these spiritual experiences and they have this, um, 
you know, epiphany of knowledge, they seem to want to attach it to something. And it's like, you know, you have Mormons that sit there and have this spiritual experience in church because someone is speaking and they have this spiritual experience. And they, to me, it's just your creator that's, you know, um, communicating with you. And I think what happens is people, wherever they're at, they attach it to something instead of letting it just be what it is, which is pure knowledge from your creator Mm. or spiritual being. You're getting some knowledge here that might be very inspired, but to attach it like, oh, well, then that means that this, this man is speaking and I had this spiritual experience. So the Mormon church must be true. And then I'm going to join it and be in it for life, you know, or I felt this at the Christian church. So then that must mean that Christian church is true. No, it just means that you're having um, communication with deity yeah. or your creator, and you don't need to attach it to anything. It's just between you two. Yeah. So I, I want to ask this question because I mean, as we're in these multiple playgrounds and sandboxes and everything, I'm just wondering is is one of the motivations to think like this, Glenn, for you in particular? Is it is there more value to doing that than rather than thinking that this life is it? And that once we're dead, there's, that's it. I mean, because to me, I I hear less and less of the, you know, we should capitalize on this life because that's all we get and who we are or our thoughts and everything and our vibrations within us pretty much cease to exist as we know it once we're dead. Yeah. I mean, is there less value to that? Is that why I've, I hear less and less you talk about that? Can, can you restate the question? Because I, I get pieces of it, but I'm not quite sure what you're really asking me. So what I'm saying or what I'm asking is all these different playgrounds of thinking. Yeah. You know, the, the spiritual, the vibrations, the atoms. Can, can I ask you if, uh, here, please, are, are you asking me if the reason that I like all this stuff is because it gives me comfort that when I die, it's not going to be at the end, that there's going to be continuation for it. Is that what you're asking? If, if you mean by comfort, I, I'm putting the word value there, but yeah. Value? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think value is a little bit more general. Comfort might be a specific value, but, but I, I, see, I see him related. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, 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 I definitely do see a, a value in that, but the, you asked me what motivates me. It's just the way that I feel like I, I love it. I, sure. I, I love the way that it feels to explore, to, to come across a problem that really irks me mm-hmm. and then find a way to have it not irk me until I bump mm-hmm. up against another problem that irks me. And then to find something that then that doesn't like. And so <laughs> to, to me, that's like, mental growth, emotional growth. I don't know what, what kind of growth it is. Uh, it, I, I think it helps me empathize with people who are very, very different from me better. Although like my ability to do that is nowhere close to what I think my capacity actually is. And that's something that I want to continue to grow. Um, as, as far as like the afterlife thing and um, thinking that this but putting a premium on the experiences of this life, because this is the only one we get. I do think that the, even though if, yeah, I, I really like this idea that of this intelligent 
energy that we're all made of. That that the my favorite word for it is source. And when, when mm-hmm. people talk about it and they call it source, mm-hmm. it's this, this source of energy, the source of life, the source of love, the source that, that we're all an extension of source. But the, the little bits and pieces that come together to form me from 1972 to however long I've got left, that only happens this one time. Mm-hmm. And so me coming together as me right now, I've only got that. And when I die, I dissolve back into source, you know? So, but what I think is that the experiences that I have and the interactions that I have are kind of like, I, I kind of think of myself as like a, an extension of the nervous system of source, absorbing information and experience that then goes back into source. Um, yeah. And that not only am I doing that, but I also have the ability to kind of shape where I go and what I experience and, and right. actually some creative power to what I make as I'm doing that. And I, and, and that's kind of what I hear to, to, to bring this back a little bit to what Abraham Hicks is talking about to this guy is she's saying, you're totally valid to see all of the atrocities in life and to focus on them and to fixate on them. That's fine. That's good for you to do because as you're doing that, you're creating these rockets of desire. You're raising the vibration of everyone you are becoming, or you are creating the eventual solution. And that's a good thing. The, the, question that we ask you is what she said the question that we ask you is is that all is this all that you want to do and all you want to be um because you have the ability to do more than that and you he he came on right off the bat saying i hate people i'm miserable and she's saying yeah do you want to keep being miserable because if you're only focusing on all of the atrocities. And if you're taking everybody's pain onto yourself, you are going to create a reality of misery for yourself. But you can't, there is a way to see the positive in all of this as well. And we'd like you to see that, but you're, you're perfectly fine. And, and they said, you know, once you die, I, I loved this part. Once you die, you kind of dissolve into source and you become part of the chorus that is Abraham that, that, ex, that shares your, your perspective and your experience. So that, that's why I go, okay, it's like these, this nerve ending, bringing information into source. So I, I just, I like that kind of stuff. It does, it does make things that don't seem to fit very well, fit together a little bit better for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it any easier for me to think that it's okay for Christie's dad to do what he did to her. You know, I don't take it there. But don't you champion people too? I totally resonated with everything you just said because it's like you take the suffering and you take all the bad. My mother lived that her whole life. Everything she went forward instead of, I mean, she, she was a beautiful woman and she went on one date. And she never went, I mean, she ended up doing other things in her life, but she never fulfilled. You're talking about after she divorced your dad? Yeah. Okay. And she never knew love, you know, and she, she carried around this huge weight of the world. And that's what was so hard sitting across from my dad, because he was able to move forward. He was able to block out everything he did. He moved forward and had a great life. My mother carried this around with her, even to death. You know, and it's like for me seeing that, seeing my brother die, who was unfulfilled in so many ways, and then seeing Kathy 
you know, um, die and not be able to fulfill things. I was like, I'm going to be damn sure that the rest of my life is me not making my dad the center of my fucking universe because I deserve better than this. And it was, I was able to put it in a perspective, get what I could get out of it and be for me, not everybody's able to, we're all in different levels and journeys, but for me, I was done and I wanted to do something more with my life and also help other people. Mm. You at some point make this decision in your life. How long are you going to stay in it? Yeah. And it feels like shit and no one's there to rescue you. No one's coming in with a cape and saying, what a horrible man he was. I'm going to save you and take you off to here. But because I think I was waiting for that mm-hmm. and it never came. Yeah. You know, and at some point you just have to take your power back and say, fuck you. Yeah. This is my life. Right. I am a beautiful human being. Yes. And I'm going to go out there and do what I can with the rest of the years I have left. Which, yeah. which is one of the reasons why, you know, you should be celebrated for getting through it. And becoming the person you are now and the person that you're still going to become. Because I also want to acknowledge the people that experience similar circumstances that don't make it. Whether it's through suicide or whatever it is. Because it's, it's, it's your journey, you know, there, there are a lot of roads where, yeah, people don't get to where you're at. Yeah. yeah, And I think and, having my mother die the way she did, broken completely, and to see her being that vulnerable and then having the deaths of my other family members, I think became like a big, huge wake-up call to me, mm. you know, because you're at this pivotal time in your life and you have choices to make. And you're like, am I going to carry this or am I going to do this? But right. I do feel bad because I have been at the brink like a lot of people when they choose yeah. suicide. I don't blame them in the least, you know, but life is worth it. If we can just get past some things. Yeah. You know, it's, this is interesting. You know, when I ask you that question, Glenn, the things that actually bring me comfort or value in life now. And I liked what you're talking about this organism. I, I, I was thinking of like tree roots reaching out. Sometimes the roots touch other organisms and plants and whatever, and some roots die, other ones branch off and get stronger. The thing that actually brings my life now the most value is when I can help. If I can just nudge people in a positive way. Yeah. You know, whether it's doing the suicide help stuff, whether it's assisting my kids, my parents, friends, just in just in eensy beatsy little ways, you know, it, it, it's not it's not where I'm going to stand at a fork in the road and help them in this new life and new path, and they're they're going to always be forever in my debt because now that I helped them on this new life journey, that it's going to be nothing but you know <laughs> rose petals from there forward. I I don't see it that way. I I see just the gentlest of nudges if I can just do that for people because in in my life I really do celebrate the people the the littlest tiniest little things that make my life better that and it doesn't really even take much effort that there's there's a YouTube video 
I'm trying to remember what it's called, where this guy talks about getting a cup of coffee in an airport. You guys have probably seen it. Oh, I love that story. It's, it's such an, to me, that's when, when I think about that all the time, it's just the littlest of things that happen to somebody that like change your whole day, change your whole attitude. And if we can do that for other people, and then obviously we pay it forward and they pay it forward. I feel like that's how we're going to branch out. That's how we can make our lives better, increase the comfort and the value of what we have here. I mean, that's, that's me trying to answer that question that I asked you. Yeah. So. Well, th- I mean, there's so many things that I love about what you just said, Tom. Like I, 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 I really believe that as you do things to help heal other people, that you're healed through that experience. Of course. You know, like, so it's, it, it is this reciprocal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, there there was something earlier in the conversation that made me think about membranes. I I think, I think Christy, it was when you were talking about like the belief systems of the Mormons, and then you've got these other groups that have these, their belief systems. And you, you can look at nature where life started as a single celled organism, but even a cell has within it like multiple different things that make it up. And then it's got this membrane around it. So all of these different multiple things are functioning together for the benefit of the whole that that membrane is. And whether you think of it as a metaphor or you think of it as literal, that's how we arrange ourselves in community and in society. And one of the really valuable things that I find with my education in folklore is, is the tradition, the way that tradition becomes a cultural membrane that brings people together. So you've got all of these different people that are doing different functions. That's for the good of the whole. And, and they're able to draw the line around what the whole is through their beliefs. That was the whole premise of the book sapiens. And, and you know, talking about the value that fictions and, and religions in, included in there as a fiction, right? Forming these cultural membranes around these groups, groups of people that were about 100, 150 years, and that's how humans survived on this planet for so long. Then the membranes start expanding and bringing in more people. But as as one cultural membrane impacts against another cultural membrane, there's conflict and there's destruction, but then they merge and there's a bigger cultural, and then they come and they merge and there's a bigger culture. They come and they merge, there's a bigger cultural. So I I really haven't looked into the Gaia (laughs) theory about like the, the earth being an organism and a living thing. And we're each kind of like cells within that. But I could see that type of thing in the way that we interact with each mm-hmm. other, with our beliefs, with our fictions, with these cultural membranes. And, and so you, Tom, what I, one of the things I love about you is you don't really give a shit about, no, I don't know, maybe that's a little hard, <laughs> but you really don't give a shit about what cultural membrane somebody's in. You're going to help. You're, you're going to, you're going to like, so maybe drop your own, um, confirmation biases that help to form your cultural membrane and reach across to another and just show them love. And, and you asked earlier about how I got turned on to this Abraham Hicks thing. And I told you it was this very, 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 very good friend of mine named Cammie, who mm-hmm. is probably the embodiment of what you were describing more than anybody I've ever seen in my life where That's awesome. we, we would go places and she'd make a, she makes a point to look at somebody in the eye and just how are you doing and really make like a genuine connection and smile. And, you know, like I watch as like a, a grocery clerk is like drudging their way through the day. And Cammy goes, Hey, how you doing? And smiles. And for a brief moment, who knows, maybe it turns their entire day around 
It, it does for us when, when we're there and like we start feeling good and they start feeling good. And so the things that you were describing is lifting up people around, even through very small and simple means, great things can come about. I read somewhere once, which I just discarded when I found out that there were all these lies and stuff, but you know, <laughs> actually some really good stuff in Mormonism, in the Abraham Hicks, in all of these different cultural worldview and belief systems that I love discovering and finding. So maybe that's a way of going back and answering that previous question too, about like what value I find in playing in these different. Absolutely. Well, and, and even to, to give Christy a big shout out the comedy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've been obsessed with comedy for years and years and years, (laughs) but uh, I will go to a comedy show or I'll watch a stand up routine. And, and if it hits that sweet spot where I'm laughing, really good at the end of it i get that euphoria where i'm like life is awesome and and i'm like i don't have a care anymore i just want to i just want to stand up and cheer not just for the performer but just for life in general it's like it's so good because if we can laugh together we all share this moment it's i don't know I just want to big, yeah. give a big shout out to comedy uh, in general. So yeah. yeah, that's what makes it so exciting for me is because I get to take some, I usually, my comedy is mostly about retelling stories that happened. You know, I had a son I raised mostly on my own and just, he was quite a character and you take little stories from growing up because not every day of my life was horrendous. Sure. You know? <laughs> now right. there were some really funny, humiliating things that happened. And I had a choice when I was younger, like, you know, I started sharing some of the things with my friends that happened and they were laughing their asses off. And I'm like, is mm. that funny? And they're like, that is fucking funny. <laughs> they shared that with everybody in the world, you know? And so I was like, yeah, that could be kind of funny, you know? And it does, it's so, it's like a very powerful feeling to know that you can change someone's day or make a difference, even if it's just for those three minutes on stage. It's, it's. It's intoxicating, really. Yeah, my daughter, she'll, I mean, if she has a hard day, she'll say, Dad, do what you do best. Make me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and then if I eavesdrop on my son, and I I heard him say this, and this is one of my cherished memories, so hold this in sacred Mm. territory. He actually told me. I won't publish this to anyone. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no one will hear it. It's just between us and the 12 (laughs) listeners. Yeah. It's dozens and dozens. Dozens and dozens. But when he told his friend, he's like, my dad is the funniest person I know. That was like the biggest compliment outside of my Uh, wife saying yes when I asked her to marry me, of course. Yeah. But that was like. That was awesome because I actually do try really hard to be that positive influence, make people laugh. Like if we're at the dinner table and we'll just kind of share funny little stories and experiences or whatever, you know, like there was a coworker that shit himself, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And you share this stuff and everybody's just laughing and like everybody's woes and worries and troubles go away, even if it's temporary. But it sure is nice at that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. When I, my, when my son was little and I would read him, you know, all these books, I would read him the story. And then later, the next time I would read it, I would like make up my own story. Like, get your ass out of my face, Mr. Dinosaur, and quit, you know, <laughs> pooping on my head. And I would just, just out of the blue. And so when I would go to read it to him again, he goes, no, don't read the story, mom. Tell your story. Oh, That's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So good. 
Yeah. yeah so I get that, you know. So, but it is, it, it's just sitting around the table and, and laughing at yourself and laughing when people trip and do stupid things, you know, and that's what my comedy is about. You know, my son in kindergarten, um, I picked him up one day and the teacher was like one of those tightly wound, like never been laid. Sorry, I'm so crude, but like <laughs> a primary teacher that had never found the right guy, but was still bunched. Right. So, I mean, it was just like. You know, have you had a colonoscopy? What is the problem? (laughs) She hands me this piece of paper and she's like throwing it in my face. Do you know what that is? And I'm looking at it and it's like this elongated circle and a big knob around the end. And I'm like, "I I don't know what that is. And she goes, your son drew that today in class. And he passed it around to everybody. And he said, this is my mom's (laughs) <laughs> and like I was dying when uh-huh. the teacher was telling me that because she pissed right and I'm busting up laughing and I'm like um no that's a sad boob and I have really happy boob <laughs> oh, yeah. I think this is your boob you got a sad boob <laughs> and of course you know that was didn't go over well with her but it was a funny moment right yeah, of you course because you're like come on don't go nutty because he showed my boob to everybody yeah you know uh, even though it wasn't my boob, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. These are good moments, man. <laughs> and, and and good examples of the way that we create our own reality and, and turn tragedy into joy and happiness, even if it's just for a minute, you know, when you get enough distance and you're able to laugh at it. Um, and and I, I think that's something that our podcast has done for a lot of people with Mormon. Hail to the yeah, we do have. <laughs> <Give me a laughs> break. These of men mingled with humor, you know, and, right. and boobs. Yeah. That's that's the guy. Penises and boobs, penises and boobs. Yeah, right. So, so oh, b- before oh. we totally wrap up, we've got a few people who are sitting in and have been listening to the conversation. So I just want to open up to, to any of you, Tracy, Celeste, Nick, Kami. Um, if there's anybody that call me, it's not Cammy. Oh, is it Cammy? Oh, is that? Well, Cammie? I don't know. Like That's what it looks like. Tommy? Yes, it's Cammy. Tracy. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a good conversation. Awesome. Thanks for joining in. Like in the last samurai. Conversation. <laughs> I love that movie. So <laughs> is that the, is that the Tom Cruise one? Yeah, Tom Cruise and Ken Ken Watanabe is the one is the the samurai that says gotcha. it's been good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you, what do you got, Tracy? Oh, put me on the spot here. Well, I, th- I thought you unmuted yourself so you could talk. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't want to. I was just answering you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anybody else have any anything they want to add? Questions they want to ask? Comments they want to make? Please. Words they want to say, please. Criticisms you want to throw at us? Nope. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining. All this conversation. With us again. Oh, wait. Wait, wait, Celeste, why did you send this? Unmute yourself, Celeste. I can't hear you. Celeste just wrote, there will be no more offering, neither child or parent. There will be no more sacrifice. The time of obedience and atonement is past. Either help us as a friend or go away. This is a quote that I read a year or so after most of our family left the church. It was in a sci-fi book with this weird God thing called the Shike. 
one of the characters that loses his daughter says this, no more sacrifices. It was, Oh, that's good. Shrike. Shrike. No, that's good. Cool. Mm. Well, I, I missed the opening game of the NFL for this. So, and it was well worth it. Why? Who, who played? Uh, I'll have to pull up my fantasy team. Hang on. Are you strictly uh, NFL or you do any no, college? No, no. Yeah, I have college. Yeah. Do you like the Utes or BYU? Of course. Utes, yeah. Why would I, yeah. why would I like BYU? When I, I said they've that lost as a nine courtesy. Ti- they've lost nine times in a row. <laughs> yeah. No underdog. <laughs> yeah, it's not much of a rivalry anymore. Yeah. Well, Christy, thanks for coming back on, especially yes, the night after you. we recorded that that last one. And you, you, my friend, have an open invitation anytime oh, you want to come on. If you've got a topic that you want to discuss, uh, it's just an absolute joy and pleasure to have. Yeah, you have you have a brilliant mind, wonderful spirit. Yeah, wow, there's always guys, an open door. Thank you so much. Seriously. It was a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much. All right, and thanks everyone who joined. Yeah. Right. Night, everybody. Night. Night. May you have auspiciousness and causes of success. May you have the confidence to always do your best. May you take no effort in your being generous. Sharing what you can, nothing more, nothing less. May you know the meaning of the word happiness. May you always lead from the beating in your chest. May you be treated like an esteemed guest. May you get to rest. May you catch your breath. Or may the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Whoa, I made the road less paved be the road that you follow. Oh, well, here's the Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Well, here's to the hearts that you're gonna break.